are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website, ssbaptistchurch.com. And let's turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Um, We're looking at the book of Acts, um, chapter 4, starting from verse 13. Um, It's ironic that uh, Brother Jeff has been preaching um, a message series called Go, um, where he's been trying to encourage us as believers to get out there, share our faith, um, do what we must to bring people unto the gospel, I mean, to share the gospel with people and bring them unto him. Well, you know, in sharing and telling people, I mean, in telling people to go, you got to go, you got to be prepared to go. You got some things you got to carry with you. Of course, you got to carry your Bible. That's that's something that's probably one of the most important things you'll probably carry. Um, you'll probably want to um, make sure that you have some other things, like maybe some tactics, maybe some tracks, maybe something that would help the word go across more effectively. But then there's another thing that we have to carry with us, and sometimes we sometimes forget it. Um, it's hardly ever mentioned. However, it's probably one of the most important things you're going to carry with you as you share the gospel. Um, Once again, that's Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 13. And it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished that they took note of the, and they took note of the, I mean, took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. Verse 16 says, what are we doing with these? What are we going to do with these men, they, said, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows what they have, have done an outstanding miracle, yet we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further from among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer. I mean, speak no longer to anyone in his name. Verse 18 says, then they called, him, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak to each I mean, or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But um, Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is God's, whether it is right in God's sight to obey, I mean, to obey you rather than God. And verse 20 says, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Amen. Bow your heads and let's pray. Um, Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to worship you, God. And we thank you for... Um, so much for so much is giving us the breath of life, God, for giving us uh, the gift of salvation, God. And we thank you and we want to be able to be entrusted with this thing, God, in the sense that we want to draw people to you. And God, we just pray that um, as the message goes forth, God, that there will become a sense of longing, a sense of urgency, God, that we would um, turn to you and make sure that we have our whole heart invested in doing the things of you in helping the people you've called us to reach. And God, through everything, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. Amen. Amen. Um, as we were talking, um, that thing I mentioned, um, we, talked, um, we talked about, of course, that you need a Bible, of course, like we just said. We also talked about that you need to have some type of tactics. But there's one thing that I mentioned that we just sometimes forget when we carry the gospel. And that, is, and that is found within this, within these, um, within this book, within these scriptures. Because it says that, let me, and let me rewind and give you some story, backstory and then give you the, what you need. Um, what happened is that P- 
Peter and John, they had, it was sometime after the church had just started. And so Peter and John were going to the temple called, I mean, the temple gate called Beautiful um, during the prayer time. And they saw a healed, and they saw a man who was crippled. He was standing, as he always did, he was sitting beside the gate, begging people who came in for prayer. Well, Peter and John told, well, Peter begins to tell him, hey, I don't have any silver nor gold, but I will give you something, right? And so he was, and he decides he, through the power of Jesus Christ, he heals the man. And so the man gets his, he gets strength in his legs and he begins to walk. And then everyone becomes amazed at the fact that this man who had been begging for all this time is now a healed man. And not only is he healed, he's walking among us. And so while these people are amazed at the fact that this man has just been healed, they follow Peter and John. And so then they, and then they wonder, wow, what did they do? Where did they get this from? And they begin to speak to the crowd about the one person they neglected, and that was Jesus Christ. And so they begin to tell them about how this was the person that you rejected. This is the person that you've been missing all along. This is the one who we, you, helped hang on the cross. And in the midst of saying that message, they mentioned the fact that this, this Jesus had rose from the dead. Well, that didn't sit very well with a, with a certain group of men, and that group of men is called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was made up of a group of men who were religious leaders of the community, and they were also the wealthy, intelligent philosophers of the day. And so they were, they were, one thing about them that stood out was that a certain group of those people, they did not believe in the resurrection. And so they called Peter and John into, the, into council, and they called them basically to discuss the things they had, been, they had been saying while they were out in the streets. And so they pull them in, and they say, listen, you know, we don't get it. Why are you guys saying stuff about, why are you bringing up all this stuff about this Jesus? And so then Peter and John, they decide that they're, they're not, they're not going to back down. They're not going to take his anymore. They're going to speak out about the faith that they've been entrusted to keep because Jesus left them behind to, 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 um, to take on a certain mission. That was to spread the gospel. And so unashamedly, unapologetic, unapologetically, they say to the Sanhedrin, listen, this is what you miss. This is the stone that you rejected. This is the chief cornerstone. This was the one that you hung on a cross. And as they begin to speak, the Sanhedrin come across this idea that, you know what? He sounds like somebody else, just like somebody else we were with. And if you rewind back a little bit, back to the book of Luke in chapter 22, you'll find out that Peter and John sounded a little bit like Jesus. And so they concluded and I mean, by verse 14, that these men have been with Jesus. These men have been with Jesus. And that's the one thing sometimes that we forget as we go to share the gospel with people. People are looking for something besides just a person and just the Bible. They want to know you've been with Jesus. They want to see it. Because notice, when, as he talked, the first thing they concluded was, hey, they've been with Jesus. And not only that, Nobody could deny it. Nobody could deny it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so think about it like this. And as a, you know, most, most of us as adults, we kind of get offended by this thing, but that's okay. As an adult, you ever had somebody tell you, man, you're sure, you just like your daddy. Oh, you just like your mama. Your mama used to do that same thing, right? And you hang your head in shame like, oh. Because remember, when you were growing up, you were thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be like my mama. Oh, I'm never going to be like my dad. That's the last thing I want to do. And then even you find yourself being just like them at times. Like you may be fussing at your children, and all of a sudden they'll say something like, I'm going to count to three. Oh, wait a minute. 
My mom used to say that. Or listen, you stop crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. That sounds just like my dad, right? And so we, we find ourselves being like the people we say we're not. But in this case, Peter and John, they were, this was a good instance, right? Because they were, they were pegged as being, as saying, hey, oh man, they sound like they've been with Jesus. And so we want to explore today what it means to be with Jesus, what it looks like. Oh, um, there was some observation I made as I checked out this passage, and I think it's some things that are worth pointing out. Um, and whether you're saved or not saved at this point, you should find yourself somewhere in this. If you've been with Jesus or not, by the end of this message, you should be able to conclude whether or not you've been with Jesus. Amen. Let's look at um, let's look at verse 13. In verse 13, it makes mention to these guys. It makes mention that um, they were they were they were. I mean, now that they were observed the confidence of Peter and John, they understood that these were uneducated, untrained men. And yet they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. OK, one of the first things we notice about people who have been with Je- with Jesus it's one of two. I mean, it's, it's a twofold thing is number one, they're inadequate, but then yet they're empowered. And what do you mean by that, Richard? What that means is that were they able to do this thing by themselves? No, not by any stretch. They had help. That help was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was used to empower them to do the great work of the gospel. And notice, the first thing, as, the, as the, um, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, as they made mention of this thing, the first thing they said is that they were uneducated, untrained, right? So think about this. Now, they're a bunch of, they're, they're two uneducated, untrained men standing in the midst of about 70, 71 maybe, 72 possibly, standing in the midst of about 70-some-odd people who are educated, wealthy, intelligent, know the Bible, live by it, Right? So by all accounts, you know, they're supposed to be afraid. It's the equivalent of me being slow, going into a room with Albert Einstein's and expecting to quote some stuff and expecting to wow them with all my intellectual prowess. So they were, so it, it, it should seem like they were outmatched by every stretch of the imagination. But yet they spoke with courage. They spoke with courage. And notice that even though they, they seemed by, mo- by most cases to be outnumbered, outfoxed, outsmarted, out everything, they still recognized the fact that they had been with Jesus. It had nothing to do with the fact that they weren't trained, the fact that they didn't know everything. The fact is they had been with Jesus. A lot of times we, um, we spend our time saying, hey, I can't go out because I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I submit to you, these were untrained, unschooled men, but they had one thing. They had been with Jesus. They had been trained by the man who would one day entrust the kingdom to them. They had, they, did they have it all? No. But did they have the right, did they have the one thing? Yes. We as people, we have the gospel. We have the assurance of God himself that if we put forth effort, His word would never come back void. If you at least share with someone, whether it's your life, whether it's the word of God, whether you help somebody in any way, shape, or form, then guess what? You're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. So you don't have to have a lot of sophisticated training. You simply share the faith that you know. And for what you don't know, you go back and you study. Ask questions. 
tell someone, get help. It's simple as that. And people want that. People want that. People want to know that, yes, you don't know everything, but yet still they can find Jesus through you. And think about this. The fact that they were the fact that they were untrained men coming before a group of trained men, I'm sure the Sanhedrin were a pretty were a pretty angry bunch at that moment because they were well trained. But yet Jesus displayed some things, I mean, they displayed some things that um that should be um consistent with who we should be. And those things are self control. Because notice that as they were being as they were being talked to, they never got upset. They simply stated what they knew. Number two, they also had empowered lives, meaning that their, their courage came from something different. It, came, it didn't come necessarily from within them. It came from who was in them. And next, they had fearlessness, meaning that they proclaimed it boldly and unashamedly. People who have been with Jesus are self-inadequate vessels empowered by the Holy Spirit to make them adequate for the work of God. And their boldness comes, and their boldness I mean, they live their boldness through their lifestyle, not from the confidence in themselves, but in the confidence they have in who God is and what he proclaims. I hope everyone is still with me. The next thing, if you look in verse 14, it says that um, one of the things you should glean from that. So just make sure everybody's following me. Remember, the first thing is that people know that you've been with Jesus is the fact that you're inadequate, yet you're empowered. You're inadequate, yet you're empowered. The second thing, your lives and testimonies affect change in other lives. Make mention, let me look at um, verse 14. As Peter and John stood there for their beliefs in the midst of that harsh environment, there's somebody who stood with him. Did anybody remember who, who stood with him? The healed cripple, the, the, the former cripple, right? He stood near them as fact that they had made a change in his life, right? They stood with them. So there was no way that the Sanhedrin could deny the fact that this man had been changed, that something strange had been going on, something different had happened. And so God does not simply give us, I mean, empower us just for our own good, but he does it to affect the lives of others. Here's what I mean by that. Check out 2 Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. It says, you yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. We are living letters to be read by everyone, whether that's publicly or privately. The question becomes, what's in your letter? What's in your letter? When we want people, when people, like, if, if our life is a story, it's in a book, and someone picked it up long after you had gone on, how would you want them to read it? Would you want them to read it with discontent, thinking, man, that person was horrible. They did some horrible things, things you may not even have spoken of. Or do you want that person to read it like, man, I want to be just like that person. I want to follow God just like that person did. Um, one of the things that stick out to me is this example that Steve made it one night at um, one night at gym at gym night. As we were talking to the boys, he made this simple statement: "What if you had someone following you around everywhere you went, 
at all times of the day, in everything that you do, do you think that person following you would be pleased or unpleased? Once again, our lives are living letters. Every movement you make, everything you do is a living, is a part of that letter. Whether you want to be there or not, our mistakes, our glorious victories, they're all a part of the letter. And if, if, you're, like, if you're like me, you want, your, you want whatever your story is to be a good story. Some of us may have some great lives one day, and they may be one day um, put into biographies. And, you know, sometimes those can be fair, and sometimes those can be unfair. How do you want your story to be read? If we're all living letters, if we're all living letters, what do you want people to read in your letter? And if you want people to read that in your letter, can they read it now? Or do they need to wait for the later, for the later chapters of the letter? We have to make a distinction right now that if we're going to live the right way, we need to start doing it now. Because as you make every move of your life, the living letter is being written. It doesn't stop being written. Next, um, the idea, from this idea that um, their, their idea, I mean, their testimony and what they have, their ministry changed lives. Remember, they changed that heal, that mean, that heal cripples life. But then it was undeniable. It was undeniable testimony, undeniable. I mean, no matter what a person says, no one could say anything about it. It was what it was. Because remember, they had no choice but to admit that that man, those men have been with Jesus, right? So it says that, so if they couldn't deny those things, it begs the question of how is your testimony? How is your testimony? Because if it is what you say it is, then no one should be able to deny it. Think about it. We as people, we all got stuff that we don't want nobody to hear about. Truth be told, if we could write that book, we would make sure that those pages get shredded. We know we would. But you got to remember this. Think about those people from your past who saw you do all these things. And think about as you, let's say you're this changed person, you're this new person, and now you're trying to find a way to, to lead them to Christ. And, you know, as you're leading to Jesus Christ, they're like, do you, do you, remember, you know that me and you, we were... That, that one time when, and don't forget about that, you, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. So sometimes we, and so with that, sometimes we get ashamed, don't we? We get ashamed, right? But here's the thing, if we as believers, if we as believers start living our life in such a way that our testimony is undeniable, nobody can have any questions. Sure, we made mistakes in the past, Sure, there's a lot of things we, could like, we would like to take back. But when we look at that person right now, a person with 100% clarity should be able to say, oh, yeah, that person's been with Jesus. But the question is, does that describe you? Does that describe me? Am I living a life? Ask yourself that question. Am I living a life in, where, in which my testimony would be undeniable? Meaning that a person has no choice but to come up with the idea that, hey, I've been with Jesus. That's something to think about. It's a, very, it's a very tough thing. It's a very strong thing. But yet, it's a very true thing. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, it says that, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. This tells you, this verse in itself tells you what it looks like when 
when you're, when you're living a life worthy, when you're having a, a great testimony. It says, number one, you're pleasing him in every way. Number two, you're bearing fruit. Number three, you're growing. Okay? If you can't find any of those three in your life, start, you got to start checking about that. Okay? And that's the thing. You know, one thing, and I'm sorry, this is kind of a personal gripe, but bear with me, okay? The one thing that I, I, I don't like, and this happens to me all the time, is you ask people about how, you know, if they're saved. You ask those people those questions. And don't, I mean, don't, listen, and of course, you're not, you're not the judge. You can't, right? However, there are some things in people's lives, you know, that kind of lead you to believe that that's not the case, right? So you say, are you saved? Mm-hmm, saved. Feel the Holy Spirit. Love God with all my heart. And so then, then they begin to tell you about that problem they did, of that thing they just did last night. I mean, not saying that they, you know, but I'm just saying, you know, a lot of times we, you know, if based on the Colossians verse, the definite thing that needs to stick out is that you're bearing fruit. Um, I probably said it before to some people, but listen, apples don't grow on orange trees, okay? Apples do not grow on orange trees, meaning that if you say that you're bearing fruit, people need to see the fruit. People need to see it. I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't have to go through your tree and, oh, that's a fruit. No. It should be apparent on the outside of you. People should not have to necessarily ask you whether or not you believe this much or you do this much. It should be apparent in your everyday walk. No one should have to guess at that. Look at, I mean, and also Matthew 7, 7 and 18, it says a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. That carries the idea that you're on one side or the other. There is no, there's no middle ground. If you said that you're a good tree, where's the good fruit? It should be everywhere. If you're a bad tree, I shouldn't see the good fruit. Simple as that. Um, so how's your testimony? Are we constantly giving others a reason to doubt who we are, what we do, and who we claim to be? Or are we consistent? Are we consistent in our, in our behaviors, our dreams, our hopes, our ambitions? Because if you're not, then guess what? People are not going to know that you have been with Jesus. It's easy to see. You may have people in your life right now you may be trying to get in contact with. You may be trying to pull near to Jesus, and you wonder, man, I just don't understand why they're not coming. They're just bad. They're just horrible people. That's what that is. They just, you know, you know they, just, they just ain't no good, right? And then as you begin to do self-inventory, you may realize, I ain't that good myself. I was with them when they were doing it, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So take a real look at yourself and make sure you understand um, what your testimony is really like. And that's whether you're doing everything wrong, whether you're doing nothing at all, meaning that you're not being effective, no fruit, no nothing at all, or whether you're just making or you're making some some really bad one big mistake, one time big mistakes. Um, the third thing you are um, look at verse 19 and 20. And just to recap, I want to make sure everybody understand. This is how people know you've been with Jesus. Number one, number, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, number one, you're inadequate yet empowered. Number two, your testimony and ministry affects the lives of others. So, I mean, people are changing because of you, okay? People, 
Jesus affected change on everybody, and his disciples did too, all right, as, as an evidence in this passage. And number three, you're passionately convinced. You're passionately convinced. Passionately convinced. In verse 19 and 20, it says, it says, um, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. You got to remember, um, Peter and John, they had, been, they had been through a whole lot of drama with Jesus. They had seen this man get crucified. They had, he had been teaching them all these things that challenged everything they had ever they had ever looked at, they had ever seen, they had ever heard in their whole entire life. And so they got to experience a whole lot. With the last thing being seeing him crucified and then risen again. Now, can you imagine that? If you were one of those people who saw him after the resurrection, can you imagine the shock and awe? The unbelief, you know, like, I thought you were dead, right? And understand that all that stuff he told you back then, it all makes sense now because it's true, Right? So they had an unashamed passion. They were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that, hey, this man knows what he's talking about. This man, by all stretches of man, he is God in the flesh. He is who we say he is. And he said he's coming back. And he said we better go and find as many people as we can to get them to come with us because he's going to come back one day. So they had passion. And notice that in their passion, when they spoke to Sanhedrin, they said, listen, you decide for yourselves what is right in the sight of God. But listen, as for me, I ain't going to stop saying what I said and doing what I'm doing. Now, your own thing? I don't know. But me, I can't, I can't stop. I know what I saw. I know what I heard. And I am convinced that what it said is right. In other words, they didn't need any more convincing because Jesus was enough. Jesus was enough. A lot of times, as people of God, we're caught in the hype. We're, I mean, and it's easy. Um, I, I fall prey to this all, my, all the time myself. You're in the grind of work, trying to go to church. You're trying to handle that special project. You got this problem. You got that problem. You're thinking ahead, trying to, trying to prepare for disaster, trying to prepare for the, next, for the next part of your lives. You're doing all these things, right? But in the midst of it all, sometimes, we lose focus. We lose focus on what's important. And even, and this is more so for people who, are, who work in ministry, in church, a lot of times we'll get, so, we'll get so entrenched about the next program or the next sermon or the next this, that sometimes we forget to worship God. We forget why we even did it in the first place. We simply go through the motions, doing this, doing that, doing this. And sometimes we forget that Jesus is enough. Now, all the other stuff is important. It is. I'm not knocking it. Don't, don't nobody ever take it that way. It is very important. But sometimes we lose focus on why we do it. We do this because Jesus is enough. We are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that one day that he died and he rose, and that one day he's coming back for us, and that one day we will have a chance to sit in heaven next to him. We forget that. We forget that. And so, we, and so the only thing we're worried about is how much I got paid this week. What bills are going toward? Did they clean that room? Is my wife still at the beauty salon? You know, stuff like that. <laughs> I know you're like, where did you pull that from? But, um, but yeah, so we, we're entrenched in, you know, oh, I got to go to church. And, oh, the church asked me to cook this meal. And, 
oh my goodness, this is, oh, I can't, I can't do it no more, right? And we forget that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. God called us to do all, God called us to be convinced about him because he is enough. All the other stuff is, it's important, but let us not get focused. I mean, let us not lose sight of the main reason why we're here. We should be passionately convinced, passionately convinced that Jesus is enough. If our whole world falls apart, Jesus is enough. If nothing else goes right in this day, Jesus is enough. Yeah, I'm angry at the world. Yeah, I can't stand half the folks that I know right now, but Jesus is enough. I ain't got two pennies in my pocket. In fact, these are my two fingers. But Jesus is enough. We lose sight of that so easily because of the grind of life. We do. But if we're passionately convinced that Jesus is enough, we should live like that. How do I know that, Reggie? Hmm? Psalms 46 and 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That is enough. If that ain't enough, then I don't know why I'm standing up here. (laughs) I'm up here because I'm passionately convinced that God wants something for us. He called us to do something. But if I lose sight of the fact that he was the one who called me, that he is the one who empowered me, that he is the one who has affected change in my life so I can affect change in others, it's nothing. It's nothing. I should just sit down, close this Bible, shred this paper, and keep moving. So again, so again I say to you, are you passionately convinced that Jesus is enough? Is Jesus enough for you? Or is it Jesus and my bank account? You know, like, you know, me and Jesus, we good. As long as my bank said I got at least $500 in there. Me and Jesus, now Jesus, you're enough then, you know, we good. Or perhaps, you know, Jesus, we enough as long as that guy act right that you put me with. I'm just saying. Or perhaps Jesus is enough as long as the church is thriving. Just saying. Oh, no, we only got, we only got, yeah, we got 100 members now. Jesus is enough now. Oh, we got 50 members. I don't know if Jesus is enough for this one right here now. We have to decide that Jesus is enough no matter what. No matter what. I got plenty of sin in my life. Jesus is enough. He's enough for me to take care of that. Jesus is enough. Okay, so let me pull it all together. You can come up if you need to. A lot of times we, we just forget. We forget that that people don't necessarily want to just see the words in this book, and that's enough, okay? They want to see the words in the book. They want to see it affecting your lives. Think about it. If you want people to change, don't they need to see a change somewhere? Didn't you see the change down the street or right where you are? People of God, we have got to look like we've been with Jesus as you go, as you go unto all the earth, people need to see that you've been there. And not only have you been there, but you want them to come along. If people see 
if, if you tell people to come along and you haven't been there, then you're not going to get them there. You're not going to get them there. So let's make sure that our lives are empowered with the Holy Spirit because we're inadequate. We can't do it alone. If you can, find, you know, come and talk to me because I want to know how you did. Is your life a testimony in affecting change in other people's lives? Or are you the only person who changed and you're keeping the change to yourself? And are you passionate about following Jesus? And is he enough for you? If those things apply to you, then you've been with Jesus. If you haven't, then search your life right now. Make sure that he is enough. Make sure that you're starting to affect change in other people's lives. Make sure that you're empowered to do the work. And so how do you get empowered? You simply do this. You confess your sins to God. He forgives you. Why? He's faithful and just. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how horrible you are. Trust me, I'm just as horrible as anybody in this room. Okay? It doesn't matter. Not only that, after you confess those sins and he, and he forgives you, then guess what? He cleanses you. And after he cleanses you, he gives you a gift. A gift that you can't take back. That gift is salvation. And once he gives it to you, it's a seal. It's a seal that says that, hey, you're mine. No one can pluck you. No one. People, let's be, let's be beyond a shadow of a doubt convinced that not only is Jesus enough, but that we've been with him. Because if we haven't been with him, how can we tell other people to come with us? If you haven't been with Jesus, this is the time to beat him. I'm asking you right now to stand. And if you search in your heart and you see that, hey, maybe I have not been with Jesus. Maybe what I think I've been, I really haven't been. Then I'm asking you to come. I'm asking the councils to come. I'm sorry. Councils, please come.